0: Welcome to a new episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy B. your host, welcoming you to episode number 133. Happy December, happy soon-to-be Christmas time. And in this episode of Panel to Panel, we have a few treats. We will start out by going through the news like we normally do, and then we will open the Pandorica, not once, but twice this time around. First, we will take a look at the first issue of the new miniseries from Titan Comics, Empire of the Wolf. And then we will go back to the month of November and take a look at Part 2 of The Forest Bride, which was in Doctor Who Magazine number 571. After those two reviews, we are going to have a great chat with somebody who, if you're just a Doctor Who fan, you probably don't know this person, but if you are a comic book fan, you definitely know this person. His name is Tom Brevoort, and he is a legend when it comes to Marvel Comics. Super knowledgeable in the history of Marvel comic lore. He is one of their longtime editors. He is a huge Doctor Who fan. He is a huge comic book fan, and I had the pleasure of chatting with him about Doctor Who and comics, and just whatever came to mind. And I think you'll enjoy it, even if you're not a uh, somebody who knows Tom Bravort or is a big, just general comic book fan. I think you'll enjoy hearing his stories of uh, how he came to be a Doctor Who comic, or a Doctor Who fan, how he came into the comics, and everything that we covered. So thank you very much for downloading this episode in advance of you hearing this whole episode. And with this intro out of the way, let's get this episode started. Let's start out by checking out the news. Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel. It's kind of quiet at the moment. Uh, We're apparently just hitting things just right, where there's no news to report as far as new stuff, but uh, we'll take a look and see what has come out recently. If we go back to Thursday, November 11th, that is when Doctor Who magazine number 571 came out. That is the most recent issue, and uh, that has part two of the Forest Bride comic strip, which we'll be taking a look at. Then if you jump ahead to Wednesday, November 17th, that is when the first issue of Empire of the Wolf, the new miniseries from Titan Comics, came out. And that's pretty much it. There's nothing new uh, listed as yet as to when issue number two of Empire of the Wolf comes out or when Doctor Who Magazine number 572 comes out. So, this news is short and sweet. Let's move on to some Reviews. We have a new comic that has been released from Titan Comics. It is issue number one of Empire of the Wolf. It is written by continuing Doctor Who comic writer Jody Hauser with art by Roberta Ingranata and coloring by a new colorist, Warnia K. Sahadwa. Uh, I apologize, Warnia, if I pronounced your name wrong and you're listening to this. But uh, this is a pretty good issue. Let me, let's me let dive into it, and uh, we will open the Pandorica on Empire of the Wolf number 1. Let me start by reading you the previous leads, because we have uh, several different characters that you might want to know about. Um, Dashing across time and space, the Eighth Doctor has had many adventures, but his greatest challenge, the Time War, is yet to come. So they're kind of giving us an idea of where he's, he's at. Reeling from the loss of his dear friends Amy and Rory, the Eleventh Doctor is looking to escape reality and just have a bit of fun. Neither Doctor expects what's about to happen next. Um, So that kind of gives you an idea of where the 8th Doctor and the 11th Doctor are in their uh, respective timelines. This uh, issue also includes uh, an appearance by Rose and Empress Rose. Rose, her little biography says, Abandoned in a universe not entirely unlike our own, Rose Tyler settled down with the human regeneration of the 10th Doctor, known as John Smith. Her temporal travels will never be forgotten. An Empress Rose, determined to right wrongs across the universe, this Rose Tyler, from an alternative or an alternate timeline, has been glorified as the Bad Wolf Empress by her devoted followers. So this issue starts out with kind of giving you an update on the the Rose who went to the alternate Earth um, during the David Tennant era with John Smith. Um, It turns out they've had a child who is now a teenager named Mia. And Mia goes off to hang out with her friends. And uh, meanwhile, Rose starts having visions. And she lets her her husband, I'm assuming her husband, John Smith, know that her visions are getting worse. Um, And between the two of them, they're going to try to figure out what's going on. But in amongst all this happening, all of a sudden, Rose kind of fades from existence and comes to on a... starts kind of jumping around, um, or ends up back on kind of on the beach where she had been before, at least that's what it looks like to me. Um, We then jump ahead or jump over to Empress Rose, the other Rose in the story, where you get kind of a brief history of her and what she has been up to. And... She knows that um, she needs the, the doctor. So she sends a little uh, looks like a little android. His name is DePau. Um He's going on a hunt to try to find the doctor, bringing back him back in one piece. We then jump, ahead, or jump to, not jumping in this issue, uh, we then jump to the eighth doctor who is traveling in the TARDIS and ends up in London during the 20th century, sometime during the 20th century. um, He assumes it's kind of, it's during the Blitz because the siren goes off and people are running. Um, But then he discovers a whole uh, platoon or an army of Santarans in the middle of the street where he knows that's not right. Then they kind of faded away. We then jump back to the Rose who has traveled from uh, the alternate Earth to wherever she is now, walking around, and the TARDIS shows up. And when uh, the TARDIS appears, and the door opens, uh, the Eighth Doctor comes out, and we have a brief exchange with Rose and the Eighth Doctor. Then we would have yet another jump to the Eleventh Doctor, who is thinking about uh, being on his own now, with no uh, Amy and Rory. So he ends up traveling to some strange uh, planet where some uh, aliens, interesting looking aliens in suits of ram armor, at least that's how I interpret it anyway, um, kind of appear. But then also the Santaran army that the Eighth Doctor uh, had encountered back during the Blitz ends up showing up. And they have, or the Doctor kind of finds himself in a battle between the the this alien race and the centaurens. And then we have a little bit of a cliffhanger of this little uh, robot guy who has been sent on a search to find the Doctor, grabbing not the Doctor that Rose would be thinking of in way of the 10th Doctor, but grabbing the 11th one instead. And so ends the first issue. If you listen to what I just said, it sounds like this issue is kind of really convoluted. There's a lot of stuff going on. However, I'm happy there's a lot of stuff going on. This is the first issue of a four issue series. And unlike the missy story that Jody had Jody Hauser had just got done uh, telling, where to me, nothing really happened in it, this one has a lot happening in it. You have lots of scene jumps from one character to another. Um, lots of stuff going on. Not so much in interactions between characters, although you have a nice interaction between Rose and the Eighth Doctor when they finally encounter each other, and which was nice to kind of introduce those two to each other, but it also leaves you really wanting the next issue because you want to figure out how these jump scenes and all these pieces and characters are all going to fit together into the story and to find out what is exactly causing the visions that Rose has scene and where we're going to go from here. So story-wise, I really like this story. Um, I'm very happy there's something going on. It kept me interested all the way through the issue. I didn't get bored with it, and I really want to find out what happens next. Artwork-wise, Roberta and Granada's artwork is just as good as it always has been. Um, seeing her draw the 8th Doctor and 11th Doctor is a, a nice treat. After seeing her draw the 10th and the 12th, so uh, she's working her way through all the Doctors, little by little. Um, seeing Rose in the comic again was also nice. Uh, something that, yes, we had the Empress Rose uh, not too long ago, but seeing uh, a Rose that we've seen on TV before in way of the alternate Rose with the, the John Smith Doctor, the Human Doctor, uh, was nice. The coloring by uh, Warnia is uh, extraordinary, I, I wasn't sure what to expect going into this because we're so used to Enrica Angiolini's coloring, uh, but Warnia does an incredible job. I like her color palette choices. I, she does an excellent job of fleshing out Roberta's pencils and inks and giving more substance to this artwork. Uh, giving it more depth and more more realism. And so I highly recommend this first issue. I wasn't sure what to expect going into it, but I found myself getting a lot more than I expected. And I'm looking forward to where this is going. I'm, I, I don't know what more to say. I highly recommend Empire of the Wolf, number one. If you were on the fence like I was about whether or not you were going to like it, Surprise! It's actually really good, so make sure you go out and get it. Exterminate! In this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, surprise again, we are going to do a twofer on the Pandorica Opens. We're going to review two brand new stories, or fairly recent stories. The second story that we are reviewing here is part two of The Forest Bride. This is in Doctor Who Magazine number 571 that just came out re- or towards the beginning of November, mid-November. This story is written by Jacqueline Rayner, with art by Russ Leach, lettering by Roger Langridge, coloring by Pippa Boland, and Marcus Hearn and Jason Quinn are once again the editors. Last, After the first part, we end the first part with Yaz being encased inside a tree uh, as the new forest bride. Well, the doctor has found the girl who was supposed to be the forest bride, and the two of them go back to f- try to figure out what's going on. And basically to make a short story even shorter, they find out that the bard, the person who kind of oversees everything and selects the brides for the forest, uh, has, has the machine that he uses to sing his song with. is isn't really a, a musical instrument, but it's more of a device to use to encase a person inside a tree. Basically, they would put people inside trees. This device was used uh, as an engineering tool to put people inside trees to protect them from the elements. Uh, Bad weather would happen, or something might threaten the existence of this planet. They could encase themselves inside the trees and protect themselves. They were supposed to get a release signal at some point to let them back out, but he wasn't sending the release signal. So, therefore, the doctor grabs the device sends the release signal, releases all the previous forest brides who have been stuck inside these trees forever, and all is well and good. The forest brides turn on the bard and encase him in a tree. And there you go. That's the end of the, of the story of Part 2. It was only a six-page Part 2, and it ends relatively quick. As far as the story goes, uh, combined together, these two parts, it was a nice, simple little story, I usually am a big fan of one-shots and just simple little two-part stories. However, this one, in my opinion, didn't have a lot of substance to it. it. Yes, it's a story that I can definitely see as kind of a Doctor Who type story, although the the premise behind it, as far as the forest brides go and putting the people inside the trees, I thought it was kind of a, a flimsy plot, and uh, there, there wasn't a lot to it. Russ Leach's artwork I thought was great. he It's been quite some time since we've seen him do Doctor Who, and I really enjoyed what he did in this, uh, these two parts. He did a good job laying out the pages, telling a good, solid story, and uh, good job, Russ. Uh, Miss Rayner, this definitely isn't one of her best stories that I've read as far as Doctor Who comics goes, and uh, to me this almost feels like it was just something that they might have had stuck in a drawer somewhere and just put it into Doctor Who Magazine to show that, yes, they haven't forgotten about the comic strip after all this time of having it on hiatus. Uh, Hopefully, next issue when it comes out, we will have a new strip, hopefully something more than just a two-parter. But uh, at least on the plus side, the comic strip was back for a couple parts. So... There you have it. There's my review of The Forest Bride. You will be for those of you who know your Marvel Comics, there are many names that are kind of synonymous with Marvel Comics. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. Uh, well, one of the ones that I always think of is Tom Bravort. Tom Bravort has been working for Marvel Comics for decades now, and he is one of their longtime serving editors. And Tom Bravort... Thank you for joining me on Doctor Who Panel the Panel today. Well, I'm happy to, to be here. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> um, I, I enjoy following you online, um, mainly because I think you and I are kind of in the same age group as far as like getting into comics. I, I know recently you've been uh, highlighting Marvel Tales comics. Um, yeah, the yeah, so last did, couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, one, of the Marvel, uh, one of the comics I remember having when I was a kid back in the 70s, was Marvel Tales number sixty-six? Uh, it was a okay. uh, it was a reprint of an Amazing Spider-Man issue where Spidey was fighting Doctor Octopus, and it's the the one that ends with Doctor Octopus holding Spider-Man up on top of the building and throwing him off the edge.
1: Yep, yeah, that was eighty-nine. So that'd yeah, be pretty. It,
0: amazing, Spider-Man '89. And and uh, I never I never owned Marvel Tales number sixty seven. <laughs> the, the the neighbor boy uh, that lived behind me had number sixty seven. So whenever I wanted to finish reading that story, I always had to borrow his copy.
1: Oh, but, um, but you at least got you at least got to read it, so you knew how it all turned out.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's the I, the first time reading that issue, though. You know, when I was probably four or five years old. It was like I need to know what happens and for some reason I never got the, the subsequent issue. But well, that was uh, always
1: well, particularly when you're when you're young and particularly back in, in the seventies in those days, uh, you could never be sure that you were gonna be able to get the, the next issue until until you were of a certain age where you could <laughs> both source it yourself by traveling to wherever they happen to be sold on your own and you had some kind of source of income. Like that was a that was always a prevalent problem in my world as well. Uh-huh. That, that you would get comics and and uh, there was no n- not not even a guarantee. there was only a a small percentage chance that you'd ever get to see the next one.
0: yeah, most definitely. Uh, I, I guess my first question for you is how did you get involved in in comics just uh, becoming a fan of comics?
1: Well, uh, I've told this story a bunch of times, but uh, my dad was uh, not quite a chain smoker, but he was a heavy smoker it was the 70s people did that a lot then
0: oh yeah most
1: definitely um, and so he would you know every you know, once or twice a week he would have to stop off at the 711 or a similar outlet to pick up cartons of of smokes uh, and so i'd end up you, you typically in the car you know going with him or we'd be coming back from somewhere and and we'd stop off there and so one day when i was like 6 uh, we went to the Seven you know, Eleven for that purpose, and for uh-huh. some reason that day, I have to assume that like there had been a spill or something, because it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, they had the comic book rack, the spinner rack, right up front, like it was by the register and by the door, the entry exit door, uh-huh. uh, which is a terrible place to put it, because it's the easiest thing in the world at that point to like grab a book and jet out the door oh yeah so and and it wasn't there for very long um in fact it's the only time i can remember it being there and i know it was there though because my experience was we were waiting in line uh i was like fascinated by the 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 stuff on the spinner rack um Uh so much so that i can remember other books that were on it uh, beyond this thing, and so it, my dad like looked over and said, "Do you want a comic?" And I went, "Of course I do." Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, you're going to buy something. I'm no fool. I'll take. <laughs> one. Um, and so I quickly, you know, looked at what was there, and I went with a very safe choice, which was an issue of Superman. Uh-huh. Um, you know and and so you know we went home, and uh, again I was only about six. I could read, but not great yet. Um, yeah, certainly not at the at the level of a Julie Schwartz Superman comic. Oh, yeah, um, but I was you know, i was a, I was already for six years old, a pretty accomplished reader. Um, so I read it and I liked it. And you know, the next time we were out, I bought another one and I bought another one, and eventually that just became a thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and so very early, I was on that train. Although going back to that thing about not being able to get the next issue, um, i was very much a dc reader for five or six years. Sure. Uh, and part of the reason for that was that in the my early days of getting comics i ended up sampling stuff from everywhere because uh, typically as a 6 year old you, you don't have a lot of control over what you're going to get so yeah. there would, would be times that you know we'd zip over to the 711 and my dad you know the whole family would be in the car or whatever and my dad would be like I'm just going to run in and get smokes. And I uh-huh. would say to him, get, grab, grab me a comic. You're going in there. And he'd say, okay, I'll, I'll buy you a comic. And he would just pull a random thing
0: yeah.
1: off of the rack. So I got a number of uh, Marvel books early on. And the Marvel books of that period vexed me. Uh, and they vexed <laughs> me for two, for two reasons. One was that every Marvel title that I ran across, it seemed like, was a continued story. And so uh-huh. I get to the end of the issue, and it would be like I have. There's no chance I'm ever going to find out what happens next to Thor. Yep,
0: yep. <laughs> because I'm never <laughs> going to find the second
1: one. But the other one, uh, and this this vexes me enough that like I hate it when when it happens today. Uh, and I've I'm sort of known for slapping other editors upside the head, you know, in instances where it does. Um, typically, uh, more often than I would like, the cover image ended up being the last page. Oh, yeah. So, you know, to use that Marvel Tales as an example, it's not its not accurate, but it's its the kind of thing you would get. That issue ends with Doc Ock throwing Spider-Man off the top of a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, and they used, you know, a version of the original yep. Spidey 89 cover. But uh-huh. if they had been doing a cover in the 70s, the cover of that comic would have been Doc Ock throwing Spider-Man off the top of a building. And you'd get go to the spinner rack and you'd see that. I, as a kid, would see that and go, oh my God, how is Spider-Man going to survive being thrown off this building? And I would read the comic to get the answer, and the last page would be Spidey thrown off the building to be continued. And uh-huh. that drove me bananas. I felt like I'd been rooked out of my 20 cents, 25 cents. Like, you, yep. y- y- you promised me something and you didn't deliver it. Um, so for these reasons and for a bunch of others, some of it, too, is just, the Marvel books of that period were pitched at a slightly uh, higher uh, uh, age level yeah. than, than six. Um, uh-huh. You know, I was a I was a uh, you know a DC reader fairly steadily for a bunch of years.
0: Okay, um, so yeah, growing up in the the seventies, reading comics. You know, you and I are kind of about the same age group. You know, reading those when you got into the eighties, I know is when you discovered Doctor Who. Um, uh, for those people who uh, don't know your history about finding Doctor Who, um, I just heard a, a, another podcast that you were on that uh, where you gave the, your spiel. Uh, it was on the uh, uh, Reality Bomb podcast where you were talking about oh, yeah. and the Ronnie. and you yeah. you kind of gave your your history of getting into Doctor Who then. Um, there's actually know- a
1: little bit. There's actually a little bit more to it than I than I talked about on that podcast, and okay. it's appli- it's applicable to what we're talking about here because. Oh, awesome! The, the first I had heard of Doctor Who, I had a buddy, uh, a, a guy named Israel Litwack, uh, and and uh, you know he was like my my comic book friend. He was a guy mm-hmm. that also read comics and was into science fiction and and all the same sort of stuff that I was was into, and uh, you know he would talk about this show. We lived in New York, and in New York, Doctor Who, in those days, in the 70s, wasn't on PBS in the New York area. It was solely on WOR Channel 9. Uh, and these are, are the Howard De Silva episodes. Sure, uh, yep. And, and uh, I'm sort of assuming you know what that is. Oh, yeah, anybody, most definitely. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't, <laughs> there was a syndication package they had. I think it was the first three Tom Baker seasons. And they re-edited them for broadcast in the United States. And they had a gentleman named Howard De Silva do intro and outro narration um, because you know, most Doctor Who episodes of that time, they were serialized and they didn't do a lot of recap. Uh, and the funny thing about them is that you know whoever wrote the scripts for De Silva didn't really pay that much attention to the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so the narration is kind of bonkers if if you actually know the stories. But anyway, uh-huh. these were running on on uh, Saturday. Mornings, I think between like 10 and 11. Um, And, you know, he told me about them. I had uh, a twice a week penny saver paper route. Uh, And that meant that Saturday mornings, I couldn't watch Doctor Who. I had to go out and deliver penny savers to generate the money to buy my comics and stuff. So, Uh you know, for, for a bunch of time, he would talk about this show, but I had never seen it. I didn't actually get to see it until... My family relocated to Delaware for my pop's job uh, when I was like 14 years old in 1981. Um, okay. But so my first real encounter with Doctor Who was in the four issues of of Marvel Premiere,
0: okay. where
1: where uh, you know Marvel reprinted a, a bunch of the early stories from the the British Doctor Who Weekly. Yeah. The the, the Dave Gibbons stories. Yep. Um, so and that was really so that was really my entry point into everything Doctor Who was those four those four comics.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Uh, my my intro into Doctor Who, uh, I kind of came in through the back door. I had a, a friend in middle school back in the mid '80s who, uh, when I first we first became friends, he was reading the, the Target novelizations. Yeah, and and yep. he I started seeing him read these books entitled Doctor Who, and so I asked him about them. And he was telling me kind of the, the back story of Doctor Who, told me about these novelizations, or told me about these books he was reading. And so I had borrowed probably close to a dozen of them uh, at the time before he was like, you know, this, these are actually based on a TV show. <laughs> right. And I was like, really? And he That's goes, yeah. and, it, it, and it airs every Friday night on Iowa Public Television at 10 o'clock. So, you know, suddenly, like, the whole world opened up for me. It's like, this is actually a TV show, and here I've been just reading books all this time. Yep. Um, yep. So, so I, I'm one of those who kind of have a, a, a kind of a backwards history, you know, of how how I got into Doctor Who. Um, so I, I know that when you were, were watching Doctor Who in the '80s, uh, I remember you mentioning that you found out about Doctor Who magazine.
1: Yeah. I, again, I had uh, when I when I relocated when I moved from uh, New York to Delaware. Um, that was a fairly seismic event obviously Mm -hmm. in in my 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 thing and and the biggest part of it was i didn't know how i was going to get comics in delaware um because uh well when i lived in in new york on long island um you know i wasn't i wasn't of you know driving age yet but i had a bike and i could get to uh, literally like a dozen different places that sold Uh new comics or even back issue comics. There was a lot of stuff in my area, a lot of places in my area that at one point or another sold comics. Um, but the place that we were moving to in Delaware was a new development. It was a little more remote and there was nothing within, within strike range of a, of a a kid on a bicycle. Um, and so I knew that immediately. And so, uh, right before we moved, I signed up with, uh, and it was, it was Steve Geppy who, who runs diamond uh, oh, okay. still to this day. Um, you know, at that point he was a, lo- a more local distributor, and uh, the, in still in the Baltimore area based out of the Baltimore area. Uh, and he would do mail, he would do like, you know, new comics by mail order. Uh-huh. Um, and so what I, you'd end up having to do in my case, like you could order deliveries either like once a month or once every 2 weeks or whatever and sure. you'd fill out a form every month and they would send you all the books uh and they were sent COD which was important because <laughs> i had you know having relocated i had no penny saver route
0: uh-huh. or
1: any or any source of income once we were in delaware for the first couple of years and not yet able to get a real job and not yet able to drive anywhere my my resources were very limited uh, and every month I would have to scrounge to get up, you know, the, the last yeah. couple of nickels and dimes for when that, you know, that, that, uh, mail truck showed up with the COD package with literally all the comics for that month. Uh-huh. Um, but in ordering, you know, this stuff, one of the things that, you know, Geppy in, you know, the pre diamond Geppy was carrying on, on this thing was the doctor who monthly. Sure. Um, which at that point was up to 50. I think for the first issue I got was 57. Okay. Um, and so, you know, again, I wasn't familiar with it yet entirely as a, as a TV show I was going to be, because once we relocated, I could actually see them. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the, from the first month I went, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up doctor who monthly. Why not? I, I like this thing in the abstract. My buddy tells me it's, it's terrific. And I liked the, the comics that it was in, at least well enough to, Figure out more, um, so I started reading, you know, Doctor Who Monthly for for a brief period of time. I think it was only for four or five months that I was able to get it, and then either okay. it was no longer offered or I didn't stay on that system with with uh, Geppy's Distribution for for more than I'm going to say less than a year. Okay. Uh, and and the reason for that was twofold. Uh, you know, one, uh, it was it was harrowing being able to get that <laughs> that cash together for those deliveries. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but secondly, um, because of the of the nature of it, I couldn't afford to do more than uh, deliveries more often than one a month. Yeah. And what that meant was, in the course of my my you know weeks or weekend or whatever, my family might go out to uh, you know a shopping center or or to pick up groceries or whatever, and I'd end up in places uh-huh. that had comics stocked that I couldn't buy because I'd already ordered them. And that sure. was maddening. I'm very. <laughs> I have a. I have a very uh, bad uh, psychology of. I need it now. <laughs>
0: oh, I'm right there with you.
1: I don't want to wait, and I've certainly been known, uh, you know, particularly as I've gotten older and had a little more you know, resources at my disposal. I've uh-huh. been known to, you know, buy a book that I've already ordered because I've found it. I've come across it in a store. And the copy I'm supposed to be sent hasn't arrived yet, yep. and inevitably will show up either later that day or the next day. <laughs> um, but I'll—I still won't have enough impulse control because I'll go, ah, eh, you know, I—I I, I, I have enough, uh, uh, you know, I have a good enough job. My—I have my, a good enough cash reserve. This twenty bucks is not, you know, is neither here nor yes. there. I want it now. I see it. It's right in front of me. Why shouldn't yep. I have it? I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm buying it. Um, so, so it was that sort of thing. So those days were very frustrating, particularly since one, you'd be enticed by whatever those comics were. Yep. And two, despite the fact that I'd ordered them all and I knew they were coming, there was still that X factor of, but will they, <laughs> <laughs> will, will they show up? Will I have them? will I not, will they not have missed that? Um, and, and so that, that just drove me nuts. And again, as I became more familiar with what was in the area and, you know, my family mm-hmm. settled into patterns and routines of, well, you know, my mom's going to go and get groceries at, at, on these days or whatever. Or there are places. It became eventually apparent to me that I didn't need the mail order. Yeah. Uh, and so I stopped that. And so, you know, Doctor Who Weekly stopped at that point, at least until sure. I could start getting it uh, locally. You know, once there was a, a comic shop within uh, my my driving range and I started sure. picking it up again.
0: Okay. Okay. Um... I guess you can kind of answer this question either looking on it from, from eyes of back then or our current, you know, uh, business a- aspect. Um, how do you, how do you think, uh, media properties work when it comes to putting them in comic books? Um, I, uh, you know, as far as Dr. Who goes, I don't know. You, you said you read like the Marvel premier stuff, the, the Dave Gibbons stuff. And, Um, and I'm sure you've probably seen some, uh, or I don't know how many of the doctor who comic strips you've seen in doctor who magazine, but, um, how well do you think, you know, maybe back then, uh, tie in magazines or comics, uh, worked or how well do you think they work now?
1: Um, I think it's, I think it's variable. Uh, I think it often depends on what the property is. Uh, and obviously, how well it's executed, because you can sure. do a good comic of anything, and you can do a bad comic of anything, and that's not, uh-huh. you know, that's not uh, uh, true even just of properties that started in other medium. Um, but I tend to be, you know, like on the one hand, I'm open to to anything that's that's good, and I've read some very excellent Doctor Who, uh, you know, comic book, uh, you know, comic or comic uh-huh. strip material over the years. On the other hand, I tend to be a hair. I'm going to say snobbish, although that's stronger than I mean it to be, uh, about the property in its original form. Sure. You know, which is which is kind of to say, like I'll enjoy Doctor Who as comics in the same way that I enjoy, you know, an occasional novel uh, and and, and uh, things in other media. But push comes to shove, I don't consider them, uh, you know, genuine or actual yeah. Doctor yeah. Who. They're kind of sidereal. And that's not even limited to Doctor Who. It's the same kind of thing with, I don't know, Star Trek. I'll read Star Trek comics, and they'll be great. But Star Trek for me is is TV, and yeah. I'll stretch to go. Oh, and movies. You know, it's the same yep. kind of thing, live action uh, thing. Um, and you know, the the flip side is also sort of true. Um, you know, I was uh, I was a big reader of the of the Remo Williams books back in the day, and Remo Williams is is a is text. to me, uh, you know, and so whether it's a comic or whether it's the, you know, a film or TV, I I've never been quite able to make that same leap. So I'm, 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 I'm not opposed to the idea of these things. Uh, I've certainly read a bunch of them that have been really great. Uh, but you know, again, if you, if you really were to like put my back to the wall, uh, I'd kind of be like, yeah, it's, they kind of function as and the rest. They're not the real thing. (laughs) <laughs> they don't count the, the, the what what yeah you know, whatever the intangible thing is that makes doctor who doctor who it it needs to be people on stages with scripts and actors and music and movement and, yeah. and all of that to to really be the actual the genuine article for me
0: sure um yeah i i totally understand where you're coming from and i uh, to an extent feel the same way you know uh for me like star trek is a is a good example where for me, Star Trek is the the TV shows or the the movies because uh, that's where I first encountered it. So that's yeah. kind of how I uh, i that's what it is to me. And Star Trek comics, yes, I definitely enjoy those and the novels and and things like that. But the, that's kind of on a on a different plane or a different level compared to the the original media that I that I'm used to. Um, uh, can you think of any uh, Doctor Who stories that you might have read in, in comic form that you you thought, you know, this would make a really good uh, uh, episode, whether it be like a, uh, an older Doctor Who story or maybe if you read something more recent?
1: Well, I, I tell you, I don't – again, I, I, because I am who I am and I have the mindset that I have, I don't tend to judge uh, Doctor Who in comics that way. In okay. some ways, uh, you know, if I'm reading Doctor Who or another property like that in comics – I'm less concerned with it duplicating the 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 show so much as I am of of going well this medium has different advantages and disadvantages than television mm-hmm. uh, and so I want it to be a good story about the characters about you know Doctor Who and 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 uh, the cast in this medium uh, and sure. and the better ones the best ones are ones that you go that's a great story you couldn't do that easily as uh television because it would cost too much um or it would or it would just not be visual enough or not be whatever um you know but that said in recent memory um there have been a couple of stories uh jacqueline rayner uh wrote a a couple of serials for the the doctor who magazine Uh, now it's got to be probably you know getting close to eight nine ten years Uh ago um but but all of her work there was was really good. She did a a, a story, Blood and Ice, uh, in I oh. think it ran ran for about six or seven uh, uh-huh. of the of the magazines. And you know, I was the twelfth Doctor and Clara, and they come across you know in the in the snowy, icy wastelands of, of I think it was nineteen sixty six because it was a reference to the first Cyberman story. Uh-huh. Uh, they they come across another like. Clara fragment, one of the one of the many Claras that had been split off throughout the 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 timeline sure. to uh, to protect and help the doctor. And this one had kind of become I- its own character. Uh, and it was all just really well told and really well put together. Uh-huh. Um, there was a, cool. another story slightly earlier, an eleventh doctor story that I believe was written by Scott Gray, who does a lot of writing over the yep, last he 10 sure years has done a lot of writing for the. For the uh, for the magazine uh, comic strip, um, and 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 this was it was an anniversary story. So there was a there was a gimmick, and the gimmick gets me, yeah, um, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, almost more than you know, as to whether the story was great or not. Um, and, and which was it was the story where the eleventh Doctor meets uh, Ian Chesterton and and uh, Barbara right. Wright, yep, the, yep. the two you know original uh-huh. companions. Uh, and so you know I'm a, I'm a I'm a sucker for something like that. Yep, me so too. I, I I was very much, uh, you know, the, the audience for that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but there've been, there've been a, a bunch of them. Titan has, has has been doing some very nice uh, Doctor Who comics for a couple of years now. And IDW had, had a, a bunch that I thought were, were good. They did a number of, of interesting, uh, uh one shots and things, uh, that, that were good. I'm, I've, I, I, I've not followed most of, of the monthly comics, regularly regularly unless there's been something going on um you know, sure. something particular that, that that grabbed me there's a specific story i read the i read the uh the 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 jody and david tannett story that kicked off that run okay. of, of doctor who um, uh-huh. i read paul cornell's third doctor miniseries a few oh, years ago awesome. yep. um yeah you know, so i'll 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 dive back in when either there's something story-wise that catches my attention or there's a creator whose work I like, or who I'm tight with, uh, and mm-hmm. I'll want to follow what they're doing. Um, so that's a couple of examples, at least recently. Sure, sure. Um, and and certainly, while they're they're they really are somewhat off model, um, because you know, like yourself, but because they were the first uh, the the first Doctor Who stories I encountered, um, I really still like you know all the Dave Gibbons era Tom Baker Doctor. Yeah. Dave. The yep. Iron Legion and and all of that 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 stuff, um, you know, and and it's not, it's 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 weird in that it doesn't quite capture the tone, but it captures a tone. It's got a very, uh, a very British science fiction sensibility to it, and I mm-hmm. think it takes good advantage of the fact that it's it's a comic strip and they're not limited by particularly a nineteen seventy nine Doctor Who budget. <laughs>
0: Yeah, actually, that kind of leads into the next question I was going to ask you. Um, uh, on a, a previous episode of Doctor Who Panel the Panel, I had Dan Slot on, and we got into a little bit of a debate. Um, he, he feels that Doctor Who is a TV show that, you know, at least back in the classic days, had a very limited budget as far as what they could afford to do on screen. And he feels that uh, Doctor Who comic stories – If you are telling, like, a classic Doctor Who story in that era, you should tell a comic book story that has that type of budget to it. Right. Um, Whereas I'm one of those that – one of the things I like about comic books and one of the reasons why I read comics is that you don't have a budget. You can tell big, vast stories and, um, you know, like in the the sixth Doctor era, the Colin Baker era, what you saw on TV compared to what – Doctor Who magazine was doing with stories like Voyager where you had big universe-spanning stories with great John Ridgway art. Um, that's what made it special for me, whereas Dan Slott is very much on the opposite. No, you it should be toned down or tamed down so that it looks like it fits in with the TV show. Uh, where do you stand on that?
1: Um, I think I'm more on your side of the, of the aisle. Um, I, I'll agree with Dan in that I would want a Doctor Who story to feel like Doctor Who. I want the characters to feel like the characters. I want to be able to hear the actors' voices in my head as I'm reading the dialogue and have it sound, true. you know, true true to true to the nature and true to the essence of of Doctor Who. You know, that having mm-hmm. been said, you know, compared to, you know, the 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 the, the new episodes that we're getting right now, even as compared to the episodes in like the first revival series from now, you know, 10, 10 yeah. years ago <laughs> yep. um, are, are, are so much more lush and they can do so much more because the technology has gotten so much more affordable and so forth. And yet we can still recognize that as all being Dr. Who. I don't feel a need if I'm, you know, if I was doing a, a John Pertwee story to go, well, in 1974, you couldn't have an army of Cybermen because they couldn't afford to have that many unless a bunch of them were stand-ups. So we yeah. only four Cybermen in this story. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm, I, agree with, I agree with you in that having the, the medium of comics means that anything that you can imagine uh, an artist can illustrate uh, and there is no budgetary constraint. That's a, that's a plus of, of working in the comic book medium and one that you should probably take advantage of. That having been yeah. said, you can easily lose the like the flavor of the series if you steer into that too heavily, because clearly they can't do that on the TV show not not regularly. Every once in a while, you can get a a big uh, you know CGI crane shot of of a bunch of Crimean Crimeans uh, fighting the Sontaran army, but uh-huh. uh, um you know you, you 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 can't get that regularly. Um, but they, if they could, they would do it. So. I feel like, yeah, you should you should absolutely be able to to go above and beyond what they could visualize on their budget, you know, uh, on on television. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, the, the the core still has to be the doctor, the relationship with the companion, the personalities of those characters, uh, a clever guy using cleverness to get into and out of situations, uh, and then all the ethos of of the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That's the if if as long as you have that formula in there or that you know you capture that essence of what what Doctor Who is about, then the all the other stuff is doesn't make doesn't matter quite so much as long as you have that that central part there.
1: yeah, and it's it's the same sort of thing as reading a you know a Doctor Who novel. Um, mm-hmm. you know I, you know I read those. and on a certain level, I visualize them like they're episodes of the TV show in my head. Um, but in my head, they always are better, or look yeah. better, because <laughs> I have an infinite budget in my mind, and uh-huh. as long as they can put words on a on a page, prose describing, you know, whatever this space station or this creature or this, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, the version in my head. And it was the same thing of of you know, reading a lot of those Target novelizations in the '80s. Um, you know, I would I would read the novelization, and the version in my head was a lot more spectacular. Than the yeah. actual show <laughs> it was based on, uh-huh. um, which didn't mean I didn't like the show it was based on when it when it uh, when I eventually got to see it. It just means you know it, it's it's like a it's like a, a gear shift sort of thing. Like this is what the program is like as a as a program, and and I can accept it on that on that level. Mm. Um, same the same sort of thing. Like if you're doing animated uh, Doctor Who, like the the uh, the animated uh, reconstruction episodes frustrate me. And they frustrate okay. me. Like I love, I, I love '60s Doctor Who. I could watch Patrick Troughton for the rest of my life. Yeah, me um, too. You know, uh, but I find the, the the reconstructions tedious in a way I don't like watching reconstructions with telesnaps or in things. And some of it is, I find the animation so herky-jerky and weird, and particularly in those places because those '60s Doctor Who episodes. Are paced like '60s television. They're very slow by contemporary standards. Yeah. There's yeah. just a lot of a lot of shots of like these, you know, uh, 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 you know, computer-generated animations of Patrick Rounton and and Fraser Hines and whatever, just like sort of standing there blinking at one another as uh-huh. they wait for the soundtrack to get to the next line, and uh-huh. it just. You know, I, I feel like I should be I should be able to watch those episodes at one and a half speed or something. Just, <laughs> step up just a little bit, just to just to keep them going. And I don't have that problem with the actual show. Um, it it has it has everything to do with the fact that it's been translated into something new, and my engagement with the something new, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't work the same way. Yeah. Um. So same kind same kind of thing. If you were doing animated Doctor Who, you could do it. Uh, but you know i would have no problem with you taking advantage of the fact that you're now in an animation world and you can do and show anything
0: yeah uh yeah i totally agree with you those animated ones sometimes they're the the gaps in between where you're right where people are the characters just kind of stand there looking at each other waiting for the next line to come along kind of kind of get drawn <laughs> out a little bit too much
1: yeah and it's just you know it's it's a it's a it's just a byproduct of that's that's how those shows were paced back in, yep. in 1960, whatever. But it were it just it works differently when there's actual human being actors there, standing there and delivering those lines and bouncing back and forth. They just feel better syncopated.
0: Yep. A um, couple last questions for you: one Doctor Who related, one not Doctor Who related. Uh, on the Doctor Who side of things. Uh, how have you been enjoying the recent past couple seasons of Doctor Who? Do you find it as enjoyable as it has been since the show first came back in 2005?
1: Um, I've been doing uh, little, not quite reviews, but reactions as the episodes have, have come out over on my, uh, my, my web page. Uh, at least last, last season I did, and I have been, you know as the new season has uh-huh. rolled out. Um, so again, to, to the surprise of nobody who's read all of that stuff, i i I feel like I want to like it more than I do most of the time. Okay. Um, you know I I, I, I I really feel like I hate saying this because you know i don't I don't know these people, and everybody involved is working hard and doing the best they can with what they're doing and so forth. And I can understand that being on the other side of that you know equation mm-hmm. if you want sure. to talk about an issue of Fantastic Four or an issue of Avengers or something. So I don't mean to disparage anybody. Um, but yeah. I don't feel that the writing has been as strong as it has in the past. Yeah. Um, you know, I just uh, you know, and and I don't expect the show to stay to stay static. I like the cast. I like a, a lot of the story concepts. Uh, a lot of the episodes, when I stare at them and I take them apart a little bit, feel like they've got a lot of of wasted air in them and and weird. Weird beats and things that again, if I was the editor on those episodes and you gave me that script, here are the comments I would give you back. Sure. Why is this scene here? What's what's going on here? Do you need that? Why do you need that? Why are you doing this? Um, but my, and my biggest my biggest running complaint, honestly, uh, and and at least so far in this new season, it seems like it's it's an area where they've shown some improvement. But uh, I think the Chris Chibnall regime. Uh, is, is very bad at remembering that the Doctor is supposed to be the hero. Yeah. And by that I mean she should be driving the story more. Once she enters a situation, once she enters a story, her decisions and her choices and her skills and her intelligence and her whatever should begin to change the trajectory of what's going on. Yeah. And in far too many episodes to my liking, uh, you know his incarnation of the doctor seems to be flummoxed by what's going on and just kind of drifts from thing to thing until some happenstance of luck gets the situation resolved and they go that was great and away we go and I uh-huh. never felt like that with any of the four uh you yeah, title any of the I was like, any of the four previous uh, uh, actors yeah. uh, but really uh-huh. it's the, the the two previous uh, uh you know production regimes yeah uh, russ russell and, and steven Um uh, uh-huh. and and so that's just an area that uh i i i wish like if you if you could just tighten that up <laughs> everything would work so much better for me and yeah. they've 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 uh, you know they've made some strides at least so far in the in the you know the the two of six that that we've yeah. seen so far Yeah. um I- still like that's the that's the that's the place where it niggles at me Um, I also felt up until this year that, that, uh, you know, for all that I could appreciate having a, like a Peter Davison, like, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there are a lot of people, there's four people on the TARDIS crew in practice. What that meant was they didn't have enough real estate in every episode to give everybody something interesting to do, especially with all the other characters that they would have to bring in that were part of the story. Uh, and so the, the companions tended to feel thin. Uh, yeah. And so, going down now to uh, you know a, a TARDIS crew that's theoretically three, but really tends to play like it's two and a hanger on, uh, yeah. is is working much much better. That that Yaz is suddenly starting to become a character because she's more of a prime driver in the story and isn't having to compete with two other people for that story that same story material.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, I'm glad to hear you talk about the the. Uh, chimno regime and how they it seems like they're not making the doctor the the central driving force. Um, I've talked I'm not trying to stir the pot or make it sound like I'm chauvinist because I'm not, but i my problem has been with the with the Chibnall era is eras I totally agree with you in that the doctor has not been the lead character to the point where the the doctor is the one who walks into the middle of what any situation that you throw her into. And she automatically knows what's going on and is able to figure out how to get out of it. My other problem, though, on those lines is I like Jodie Whittaker as an actress. I think she does an excellent job. But my problem is I don't feel that she's the kind of person or the persona or the character that gives me when she enters into a scene. She doesn't give me that. That aura or that feeling that this is the doctor, this is the person who's going to come in and save the day. You don't have to worry about it. You know, the Peter Capaldi had the the presence like a John Pertwee, as somebody who, when he walks in the room, bam, there's the guy that's going to draw all the attention. You know, he's the one who's in charge, and it's everything's going to be fine. I don't get that vibe from Jodie Whitaker and that's I don't. It's not her as an actress, I don't think i' i'm I kind of think it's kind of a combination of just the way she portrays the doctor and the material she's being given
1: yeah i again i think that that's the scripts like i in in that regard uh and and you know i, I think you could see that it was a it was a pretty strong influence on the kind of doctor who that that the Gibnal wants to make um yeah. she, to me she's a very peter davis and doctor yeah,
0: yeah um, you I know can, i can see that
1: you know peter peter too was sort of a uh, you know, a less for- certainly a less forceful doctor than Tom Baker, who he succeeded. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and again, while he was uh, you know perfectly capable and perfectly competent, and and you know was able to be a driver and be heroic uh, in that in that role, um, it was much it was a much softer touch. Um, and so, I think you know, in the in in the same way that having a a, you know, a four person TARDIS. Uh, crew, you know sort of is an outgrowth of that era. I think you know for for whatever uh, nostalgia there might be, I think that you know in in writing Jody Whittaker's Doctor, there's a lot of of Peter David isms in that performance yeah. uh-huh. um, and and again though it's not like to say that can't work. Um, I don't have a problem with the performance. again, to me it all boils down to it's about the script writing and the plotting. Uh, and allowing the doctor to to do things like they were there are there are individual beats that drive me bonkers. Uh, in a in a minor I'm I watch the episode I finish I get over it and I move on kind of uh-huh. way <laughs> but uh, you know the the uh, the holiday special the New year special that they did last year you uh-huh. know the doctor is taken away by the Jadun and imprisoned in this this top secret prison that, and and she's there for months. And the only reason she gets out is Captain Jack shows up to go, hey, I've got a magic get-out-of-jail-free card. Let's go go get back into a story. And Uh they do. And to me, that was nonsense. You know, there's a point later in that episode where she's talking to, I think it was specifically Yaz, but to the others, and saying, like, I had stuff to figure out. I learned a bunch of stuff about myself, and I needed to bunker down. And to me, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the part that doesn't make sense is as far as I'm concerned, it's the doctor. She could have waltzed out of that prison anytime she wanted to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she just didn't want to or yep. need to. She <laughs> was sitting down, taking a breath and using this pause to like work through the revelations that had come. Uh, you know, to me it's kind of like Captain Jack shows up and says, Hey, there's a thing going on, we gotta go. And she just like pops the door and goes, Yep, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, I don't. Need, cool. <laughs> I don't. I don't need the magic dingus for, uh-huh. for to be out of the here. I, I'm, you know, they they think I'm a prisoner and they give me, you know, good food and it's yeah. a place where I am away for everything and I can think. But it's not like you can keep me here. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. So there, uh-huh. there are always like little moments like that that I feel. Uh, it's not like I need the doctor to be literally a superhero capable of doing e- everything. Um, but they sometimes forget to make her capable of doing anything. Drove me bananas at the end of of uh, uh, Spyfall that that she is flummoxed by an action a a, a regular bomb on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and admittedly, you know, two two doctors back, Matt Smith was flummoxed by having to fly a plane, which also doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. <laughs> but it just seemed like you know, the, you got to the climax of the episode and she's, she literally, like, she pulls out the Sonic and the Master says, I've deadlocked it, you can't do that. And she kind of turns to whoever's there and goes, I don't know what to do. And then she gets yep. shrunk and taken out of the out of the equation and so forth. Uh, uh-huh. I, I sort of feel like that, that moment should have been her turning and going, I know exactly what to do. Yeah. And, it's, and then she's shrunken and taken out and the companions are in trouble and she's now somewhere else. Uh-huh. The same basic beat, but it immediately makes her seem more more competent because I, I I just have a hard time believing that the doctor can't figure out a way to disarm a bomb, a, yeah. a, an ordinary you know twenty first century explosive device.
0: Yep, yeah. yeah, makes total sense to me. Uh, the The other question I have for you, non doctor related, um, but comic book and media related. Um, You've been editor for uh, many, many different titles and editor for quite some time. If you were – or if uh, Marvel, for example, would say, hey, we want you to be the editor of a media tie-in comic, and you can pick whatever TV show or movie or uh, anything that you would like to do a comic book uh, continuation on, what would you pick?
1: Wow, that's a that's such a broad question. I don't even know if I have an answer. Partly because I don't tend to think about it that way. I tend okay. to think about it the, the other way. Something sh- turns up, uh, and okay. either somebody but, comes to me and says, "Hey, would you like to do?" Or do in that. certain cases, I go, "Hey, I would like to do." I ended up, uh, you know, editing the uh, the Marvel Ultraman comic because people knew that I watched a lot of Japanese tokusatsu. And so oh, okay. even if even if I wasn't so steeped in the world of Ultraman, I understood the genre and I I would get it in a way that other people maybe wouldn't have gotten it. I
0: gotcha. um,
1: but, um, you know, there 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 was a point uh, a couple of years ago where it looked like we might do some sort of, you know, Marvel Doctor Who crossover. Uh, uh-huh. And I certainly was. Was uh, you know there at the at the forefront of that going yeah I'm I, I'm gonna do that one you're not gonna nobody else is gonna do that one it's gonna be me, um you know so yeah. so uh, I you know and it ended up for a, a myriad of reasons not happening at that moment you know the the, okay. the stars didn't align quite right sure but um uh, but yeah in theory there's you know there, there's all sorts of things but I don't know that okay. I, I could even you know, sure.
0: Okay. Let, let, I have this.
1: I, I do have this. Say, this problem a lot when people ask me either <laughs> to pick something or speculate on something or tell me, yeah, you know, pick your favorite, whatever. Where my brain just gets jammed and locked because, and it's it doesn't like I can say literally anything, and it's not like the answer is wrong, and yet uh-huh. I hesitate to commit to.
0: <laughs> I, I want to do this. Uh, okay. Well, well, let me let me ask a different question then. What uh, um, as far as like TV shows or movies and stuff go, what TV show are you a really big fan of that you enjoy watching that um, maybe a lot of people aren't aware of? Like, for example, for me, one of the shows I really like that if I mention it. 90% Ninety percent of the people I've never heard of is Manimal. Do you remember Manimal?
1: Sure, sure. He could turn into a, a panther or a hawk yep. or Yep, that was the one. Or a hawk or a panther.
0: He, <laughs> do you have hawk? any TV shows like that? Do you have a, Do you have like a show that that you remember fondly or a big fan of that other people would go? I don't recall that one.
1: Well, I have, I even have shows like that. You know, uh, to to today. Um I got done finished I got finished watching uh, Girl from Nowhere a couple of weeks ago, uh, okay. which is a was a Taiwanese show. it's on it's on Netflix. Um, okay. and it-, it was a it was a-, a-, a really good, really creepy, although it's in, in certain episodes, it's fairly strong stuff. so it- I would caution people if they have a- a-, a a strong reaction to to that sort of thing to be- maybe go gingerly. Um, but but honestly, I I, I kind of have a stack of, of those, and I, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna start to like you know lose lose myself in all the possible <laughs> options. Here. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I I I I like a lot of uh, you know old 60s and and 70s era uh, television, True. 80s too, depending on what the what the show was. Um, I'm looking to to figure out what the probably the you know the 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 big new favorite in my world uh over the last couple of years and i i never watched it when it was on because it was on before i was alive um but you know whenever it was in 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 rewrites i didn't come to it until you know i was i was in my my 40s uh is the western have gun will travel okay i'm a i'm a huge fan of that show um, and, and, uh, uh, you know, again, I've, I've written about a bunch of it on, uh, on my page, uh, because that's where all the, all of the stuff that I'm intrigued enough by to, to, to talk about goes to die. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that one, I'm, I'm not at all a, a Western guy. Um, I, I I've not really, yeah, it's just not a genre that, that ever clicked with me. Um, but that show, that show works in part because while it's a Western, It's it's really, in essence, it's a superhero show. Yeah. Um, You know, it it follows the it follows the same conventions in that the lead character Paladin has an origin, a costume, a civilian identity, uh, a a calling. And every episode is is, you know, 30 minutes, uh, which I which I love. Uh, Uh (laughs) So so there's you know, there's there's always there's always that one. Um, and then you know, there's there's a lot of weird things. I watch a lot of television from around the world. Okay. Um, you know, I, and, and you know, Doctor Who kind of falls into that 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 category yeah. as as well. Yep. But uh, you know, I, I'll I'll watch plenty of things from from uh, you know Japan and and the other you know Asian communities sure. uh, and and uh, you know elsewhere. And a lot of that's a lot more uh, readily available than it was when I was first getting into it back in yeah. the eighties. Um, yeah, so technology there's a, there's, is a wonderful thing. Definitely. Uh, so there's a there's a ton of stuff there. Um, you know, right this second, I'm watching a, a show called uh, 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 "Falling in Love Like a Romance Drama," um, okay. which which is again, it's it's on Netflix. They've done about three seasons, and it's a a a, a quasi reality show where they have. They, they, they recruit like eight young actors to do a, like what amounts to a three month acting workshop in which they're all going to perform scenes and all of the scenes are going to basically be romantic scenes. Okay. And the, the objective of the show is to get the people, the, the actors involved, to start to become romantically interested in one another. And that's weird <laughs> on a certain level. Uh-huh. Um, but there's something about the, the 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 style and the tone of how romance and, and uh, dating and that whole thing works in Japanese society as opposed to American society that I find fascinating and charming. Uh, and so at the moment I'm I'm watching that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I have I have a lot of a lot of different things. It's just very a very eclectic bag.
0: Hey, nothing wrong with that. That's what is, makes uh, you know expand your mind and expand your taste in things.
1: Definitely, uh, and then like every other human on Earth, I watched Squid Game. I thought Squid Game was great.
0: I still have to check that one out. I think my my kids have watched that, but not me.
1: Yeah, again, it's it's at times uh, it, it gets a little hard to watch because it's just so so tense. Uh-huh. Um. So, so that that you know, again, it's sort of a standard uh, warn, a warning to people, um, and it takes. I at least I found it took until the second episode for it really to get going. But the first okay. episode did a lot of a lot of valuable and necessary setup, but didn't really get down to the the nitty gritty of the brass tacks of what that show is going to be. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't until you got to the second one that I went, okay, I'm 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 on board with this. I'm I'm watching these. These are good.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's good to hear. i check it out. Uh, well, oh, uh, Tom Braveheart, uh thank you for joining me to talk about Doctor Who, to talk about comics, to talk about everything under the sun, and for me to have a chance to learn a little bit more about you.
1: Well, I was happy to do it. Thanks so much for
0: uh, inviting me on. All right. Thank you, sir. Many, many thanks to Tom Braveort, super head honcho, bigwig of Marvel Comics. One of the longest serving uh, people that are working for Marvel Comics right now, I'm willing to bet. And uh, Thanks for taking time out of his busy day to chat with me about Doctor Who and TV and comics and everything that we chatted about. Thank you Mr. Bravort I appreciate it. Uh, if you want to check out his website, go, it's pretty easy. Go to Tom B-R-E-V-O-O-R-T dot com and you can read about his reminiscing of Old comics that he picked up when he was a kid to um, whatever he decides to write about. Also, thank you, all you listeners out there, for joining me for this episode of Panel to Panel. I hope this episode was fun for you to listen to and uh, took your the pressure off of the holiday season a little bit. All the Christmas shopping and everything else. I know I'm in the middle of retail, and I'm I can see the end on the horizon. It's a little ways off right over there, and uh, I'm looking forward to Christmas coming and going. So I hope everybody out there has a very happy holiday season, a very merry Christmas, and I hope this episode finds you well. So until 2022, this is Jeremy Bument saying happy holidays and bye. Dr. Who Panel the Panel, the podcast about Dr. Who Comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Dr. Who Comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Dr. Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Dr. Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at Doctor WhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who panel to panel. Thank you.